On Screen and Beyond, an inside look into the entertainment world featuring interviews with people from the movie, TV, and music industry, news on upcoming TV and movie DVD releases, and the rumor mill. And now, here's the host of On Screen and Beyond, Brian Zemrak. Welcome to Episode 7 of On Screen and Beyond, and we have a lot of interesting things coming up this uh, episode. We have a new poll question up on the website. First, I'll give you the results of the previous poll. The previous poll was, do you agree with the writer's strike? 67% of you agreed with the writer's strike. You were supporting the writers. But 33% of you, even though you support the writers, you just said, I want my shows back. All right, so I, I think that's uh, everybody in the 67% also agree with that. They still want their shows back, but they are supporting the uh, writers. And um, so that was the previous poll. The new poll, which uh, actually went up 10 minutes or maybe even five minutes after the announcement of the Academy Award nominees, uh, the poll was or is which movie do you think will win the Oscar for Best Picture? And your choices for Best Picture are Atonement. Juno, Michael Clayton, No Country for Old Men, and There Will Be Blood. So those are your choices. Go to the website, scroll down to the first home, right on the home page, down to the bottom. Cast your vote for the best picture for this year for the Oscars, and we'll see if you can come up with the, the same thing that will uh, actually come out for the best picture. So once again, uh, you can get in our poll. And the question is, which movie do you think will win the Oscar for Best Picture this year? Atonement, Juno, Michael Clayton, No Country for Old Men, or There Will Be Blood? Those are the nominees for Best Picture for the Oscar this year. And we have a lot of things coming our way as far as um, new releases, remakes, uh, upcoming movies, uh, sequels, TV shows, DVDs, uh, all sort of things. And also we have our interview, which is actually sort of a continuation of the interview we had in the last episode. This is a continuation with Martin Cove. All right. So Marty comes back and uh, gives us a talk, uh, along with David Hess, who happened to come into the studio at the same time. And they sort of kick things around and uh, give us some interesting thoughts. And uh, they really seem to... Martin is very into Westerns. And uh, he talks a lot about how he'd like to get Westerns back, and he also has won an award, um, a Golden Boot Award, uh, this past August. He won that. And uh, they talk about that and the different things that um, are going on and what it'll take to get Westerns back into the, the, um, the mainstream movies. And uh, we've seen a little bit of uh, things coming out, like 310 to Yuma and uh, the Jesse James one. So there's a lot of a lot of starting of going back to the Western, um, whether it holds up, and uh, we'll see. So uh, that interview is coming up in just a few minutes. Uh, but first off, we're going to get into the remakes right here on On Screen and Beyond. Please hang up and try again. All right. As far as remakes, on July 11th, look for Brandon Frazier, who's going to have a good year this year with his uh, movie, The Mummy Three coming out, uh, but uh, this time on July 11th, Brandon will be in a remake of the Jules Verne classic, Journey to the Center of the Earth, 3D this time. 
right, so that's on July 11th. Death Race 3000 is a remake of the 1975 classic Death Race 2000, and it's heading for theaters on September 26th of this year. 1952's classic western High Noon with Gary Cooper and Grace Kelly is heading for the remake trail. Look for a possible release in 2010. Now that may be what uh, Martin Cove is talking about, getting back into the western uh, scene in the movies. Uh, but uh, to do High Noon, that's uh, quite a... Um, Quite a challenge there. And let's see, 2009 is going to bring us a remake of Footloose, this time with Zac Efron of uh, High School Musical fame taking over for the Kevin Bacon role. And also look for Mark Wahlberg to replace Burt Reynolds in the remake of Sharky's Machine as it hits theaters later this year. All right, and uh, upcoming movies coming up next right here on On Screen and Beyond. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Of course, I must remind you, anything that we tell you as far as uh, the movies that are coming out or being talked about or everything, they are all either, you know, there's a chance that they may be not made or dates may be changed or actors may be changed. These are all things that are in the works. Some are definite. There's no question they'll come out. Uh, of course, a writer strike could delay some, but uh, you got to keep in mind that things could change. That's the way it is in the movie business. So... Now for upcoming movies, a new movie from the people who brought us Super Trooper and Beer Fest. A couple of classics there, and it'll be starring Michael Clark Duncan. He was in Armageddon and The Green Mile, and it's called Slammin' Salmon, and it's in the works. It's a comedy about a former boxer who now is a restaurant owner, and he sets up a little competition between his waiters, and then it continues from there. Uh, let's see, Marley and Me stars Owen Wilson and Jennifer Aniston as a husband and wife who adopt a Labrador Retriever to prepare, to prepare for being parents. Look for a December 2008 release and also look for writer-director Kevin Smith to head a new sci-fi hero film called Ranger Danger and the Danger Rangers. High School Musical's Ashley Tisdale has joined the cast of They Come From Upstairs. It's about a bunch of teens joining together to, to defend the vacation home they have in Maine against aliens who are invading the upstairs of the home. All right. Will Ferrell tries his hand at producing this time as he heads Stewie, a movie about a teen being pressured to lose his virginity by his best friend who wants to film the deed. No release date yet. And there's discussion of making a film version of the video game Bioshock. It's in the early stages right now, so there's no release date. Uh, but if something comes up, we'll let you know right here on On Screen and Beyond. Coming up next, Sequel City. Sequels that are coming out. Sequels. It looks like there's a lot of interesting things coming our way. Um, and uh, some that are kind of, you're wondering what's going on. All right, but it seems... 
that everybody knows, of course, that there are seven Harry Potter books. But you can look for the possibility of eight movies. How can that be? Well, the rumors are about that they may decide to split the seventh book into two, so there'll be an eighth movie. Now, I don't know if that's necessary, or are they just, you know, trying to stretch the buck a little bit so they can get a little more out of it before it dies. Um, we'll only wait and see, I guess. And uh, those furry little varmints are heading to a sequel. That's right, Alvin and the Chipmunks 2 is now a possibility. Stay tuned for updates as they come about. And also, Indiana Jones. It seems like uh, this was going to be the last one, or most likely it would be. Well... There's talk that it may continue past Harrison Ford. It seems there are rumors about that Shia LaBeouf will take over the adventures in the future. Hmm, wait and see on that one. And the sequel to Dark Crystal, called The Power of the Dark Crystal, is rumored to be heading uh, to direct-to-video. At least that's what it was they were talking about. But now it looks like it may head to theatrical release in 2009. And a sequel to the X-Men called X-Men Origins, Wolverine is in the pipeline with a hopeful release of 2009. And Saw 5 is uh, set for a release date of October 24, 2008. And finally, rumors are out and about that there may be a Roger Rabbit sequel coming your way. Stay tuned for that one. Coming up next... New releases for TV on DVD and on screen and beyond. TV on DVD, well, there's a couple of things here we're going to let you in on, but there's one in particular that I, I kind of like. But uh, let's see. First off, we have a pup named Scooby-Doo, Season 1, coming out March 18th. It's a two-disc set, 13 episodes, and bonus content. And it's also, uh, you know, it's a version of Scooby-Doo, the popular Scooby-Doo franchise, but it was more geared toward preschoolers. Uh, it was a younger Scooby-Doo and a younger Shaggy and those things. But uh, So that's heading out for March 18th. And March 25th, look for Season 4 of Sliders with Jerry O'Connell and the crew. And it'll be a five-disc set. Laverne and Shirley, Season 4, hits the stores on April 22nd. And Season 1 of Burt Reynolds' B.L. Stryker comes out on February 26th. March 25th is the current release date of the complete series of uh, Tay Diggs' Daybreak. All right, In 2006, that was a series that was very short-lived. Uh, I think it went uh, six episodes, and then they canceled it. But the interesting thing is that uh, when they release it, on DVD, they're going to include seven episodes that were never aired. So, uh, you know, you sort of get the half of a season that was shown and half that wasn't, so it'll be like watching a new show, you know. Uh, May 6th, this one I'm very interested in because I like this show. On May 6th, we can look for season one of The Invaders with Roy Thinnes. In 1967 and 1968, the series uh, went for two seasons. Uh, actually, 67, I guess, was a mid-season thing. Uh, it didn't uh, start till mid-season. But it's about alien invaders and a man who knows they exist, and he's trying to convince everybody that there are invaders here. Okay, so uh, that's a it's, it's, it's a good concept, and I like that show. So uh, that should be an interesting one to come out. A lot of people have been pushing for that one to get out, and it uh, looks like it's finally coming out. Paramount's going to be releasing that on May 6th. We'll keep you updated if uh, things change, but that's the way it looks right now. And now we're going to move into movies on DVD. 
It looks like uh, March 4th, Mr. McGorium's Wonder Emporium will be coming out on DVD. And on March 11th, it looks like we have one of the movies that's up for Best Picture for Academy Award this year, No Country for Old Men, with Tommy Lee Jones is coming out. And on March 18th, Love in the Time of Cholera comes your way. February 5th, it's a Western, and it's the assassination of Jesse James, and blah, 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 blah. It's a long title, so we won't go into that, but it's just the assassination of Jesse James coming out on DVD on February 5th. And looks like Jerry Seinfeld's The B-Movie hit stores on March 11th. American Gangster with Denzel Washington and Russell Crowe comes out on DVD on March 18th. And that's about it for movies and TV shows coming out on DVD from On Screen and Beyond. Coming up next, we have the interview with Martin Cove and David Hess. And it's a very interesting uh, talk with them. And um, that's coming up next right here on On Screen and Beyond. No. <laughs> Just no. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. Is that right? No? Yes. I have um, no. Marty Cove and David Hess Hi. together. And uh, the two of you have worked together, right, in, in different movies. Any? Can you give us some of the movies you've worked together with or shows? or Life. <laughs> life. We've worked together in life. I lived with David's sister years ago, like 30 years ago. And we became friends, and David was this renowned songwriter, Speedy Gonzalez, all shook up, um, incredible stuff, wrote in the 50s. And and um, I was up for this movie called Last House on the Left, and um, I recommended David, and um, David went in there and put a bunch of sweaters on and looked bigger and louder and evil and... And got the part of Krug, and um, I did the, uh, the uh, comic relief, the comic relief, the deputy, and uh, that's how we artistically met. Socially, we were you know friends you know, a couple of years before that. Yeah. And we've kept our friendship up over the years. It's uh, you, you don't uh, you. It's really a vacation when you work with a friend. It's really, it's, it's just fun. I mean, we worked on, on Fallen Angel. That was the first, first time in years that we yeah. worked together. But it was yeah. like, uh, you know. And, and I brought Marty, strangely enough. I mean, ironically enough, I brought Marty into Fallen Angel. You know, so it, it's like, you know, it, it, what, what goes around comes yeah. around. It, and especially if you're friends. And, and obviously it's more important, at least for me, and I know it is, I think for Marty I can speak for him. It's more important. Family's very important for both of us. Uh, um, career notwithstanding, you know, having fun and just, you know, living life. Marty's a, Marty's a great uh, uh, Western fan. He's done a lot of Westerns. Uh, most people don't know about that, but he's really, uh, um, you're part of the Golden Boot thing, right? Or, yeah. Yeah, I get a Golden Boot Award this year. So it's like, and this is the whole Western genre, which is, is popular, but not so popular in the sense that it doesn't, it, it doesn't have this big award queue, you know, right. in the United States. But yeah. nevertheless, it's, 
I mean, that's really, besides horror and cult, that's really, you know, one of the foremost genres, in, uh, at least in America, but I think in the world. So mm -hmm. tell them about that. Tell yeah, tell us that. about the, the show. The Golden Boot Award is very exciting because last year we, uh, Morgan Freeman gave um, Clint Eastwood the award, the Founders Award, and, and Burt Reynolds gave Anne Margaret the award, and I gave West Studi the award, the fellow who played Geronimo and also last the Mohicans. I get an award this year, and it's for those who contributed to the Western. And all the, uh, there's 1,200 people that uh, fill the Beverly Hilton in Los Angeles. And all the proceeds go to the Motion Picture Home and Hospital in Woodland Hills for actors. And um, it's a very exciting event. You get to rub shoulders with just, you know, anybody who's ever contributed to a Western. Whether This year, I think one of the honorees may be Olivia de Havilland, you know, who's been, wow. done, you know, everything gone with the wind, you know, brilliant movies. And and lots of stuntmen and, you know, actresses. And the bottom line is it's the 25th anniversary of the Golden Boot. It's the 100th anniversary of Gene Autry uh, and John Wayne's birthday. And um, it's a great event, and it's something that I'm proud of because I want kids to know more about the Western in cinema. We were lucky enough to grow up on... It's our history. Yeah. It's, it's our history, Marty. I mean, I, I, I've done four Westerns. Nobody knows about those. I've done four. Yeah. And David did a German Western potato fritz <laughs> years ago, and I always wanted to be part of that. It was at Hardy Kruger. We tried so hard to get him in. I got another friend in, Malachi McCourt, who's a you know he's a very famous uh, bartender and, and and raconteur, and has written. I mean his his uh, his brother wrote Angela's Ashes, I, which is a big big book, you know, and made him they made a movie out of it. But Marty, somehow we couldn't get Marty in. I don't know what was the reason for that. I, well, there was no Americans like you were the only American. Right, right. And well, it, Mal it, well, that's right. Malachi uses his Irish best. Yeah, he's Irish, and and I wanted to do it, you know. But that was back in the, you know, as we just started out acting together, back then in the seventies. But, you know, <clears throat> kids don't know about the genre, and it's not about special effects. It's not about horror. It's really about good guys, bad guys, and obviously the western needs a twist to get the kids in. And maybe Jesse James or Brad Pitt will do it. Maybe not. I'm directing one which has supernatural. So Weston has supernatural in it. And I think you probably have to come at it from that angle. And as Clint said last year at the awards, when he got his award, he said he hasn't made one since The Unforgiven and it's time to make another one. Mm. But good. In, in the documentary... We'll line up for that one, won't we? Oh, we will, you know, because he makes good movies. But he says that whoever comes up with another Western or the newest Western has got to come at it with a new twist, quote-unquote. It's got to have a new angle <clears throat> because these Westerns, as I said before, 1920 to 1967, one out of every film made was a Western. So it's an overexposed genre, and you need to come at it differently now. And kids are so hip and so sophisticated that you really need to, you really need to just, you know, be very, very uh, sophisticated with your approach. There's an also an area that, that hasn't been uh, touched on too much in the Western, and, and, I, and I hope I hope they really get to it. Maybe this will, uh, you know, ferment something. Is that the period from 1890 or 1880, which is really the the heyday of uh, you know the Western shoot 'em up, etc., right to pre-war World One, the pre-World War One. Uh, was the transition, and we think that it transitions real quick because we live in the cities, and you know, on the west coast or the east coast. Well, it didn't really transition that quick up until 1914, <coughs> 1920, even. They were still riding horses and robbing banks. Yeah, yeah. Well, they, they proved. There's a wonderful book called The Dynasty of Western Outlaws that's proved that you the, gave me that. The, book. I think so. Yeah, you yeah. gave me that. Book. And it's proved that post Civil War, 
which was in a sense a depression in America as well. And all the farmers and, and Jesse James and that whole group, they came back to the having no farms and the carpet baggers and all that. Res- and then these characters resorted to the Daltons and all that, resorted to robbing banks and all. They're all literally from the areas of Tennessee, Missouri, you know, um, the, the middle of the country, Mississippi, where they're all related, blood-related, they proved, to the characters of Pretty Boy Floyd, to the Depression-era characters of 1929. So the same outlaws from 1866 to 1876, that whole period of time, those are blood-related relatives from from that part of the country. Runs in the family. To... To, you know, Pretty Boy Floyd, John Dillinger, all that. They were all blood-related. They were all cousins 75 years later, based on the Depression of 1929 and the Depression of the Civil War. Now, think about this also. This is, this, this is really a paradox. The cars that they used before 1929, you know, the Fords and the Chevys, etc., they didn't go faster than 45 miles an hour. A horse can run at 40. Hmm. I didn't know that. So, yep. you're not dealing, you speed-wise, yep. it's almost the same. The guns changed a little bit. They developed the Gatling gun into a, you know, into the Tommy gun. But still, it's yeah. it's a very it's transitional, but it's a very similar period. And you know, I mean? this episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. Now, now, I read once that, and I can't remember the article, but it was a producer or director or something, that said the reason they don't make Westerns, one of the reasons, is because it's expensive Dealing with the horses and and the, but but I would think that the special effects must totally wipe out the cost of, of what it would you know as one to the other you know, um, I would think is that true that it's that expensive to work with no. animals? I and don't think like it that? is. Do you? I think if you get a good wrangler, it's not. I mean, wranglers yeah, cost. You have to really you know, the one I did for Hallmark Channel with Burt Reynolds and Bruce Dern, all of them are one point eight. They make you know a slew of fourteen movies and. It's very hard, and my friend produced it, and it's very hard to uh, Lincoln Logison, and Lincoln said to me, it's impossible almost to make a movie for 1.8, that's a period piece, because of the cost of wagons and, and horses and all. But <clears throat> if you're not stuck at such a low budget, you can do it. You just can't overload top of the line with your salaries. People have got to take a dip in their salaries. But... Sure, he had a problem with 1.8, but if you've got three to make a Western, and you do need a little more money than a car because it's more of uncontrollable situations, and it's a little slower. But if you have... I remember this movie, Conagher, and Conagher was a skeletal town, Buckskin Joe in Colorado, and um, Sam Elliott did Conagher, and he would have scenes in a saloon, but there were no people in the saloon. Therefore, there were no problems to deal with, no egos, no moot blocking, no this and that. Bartender, he and whoever he had dialogue with, and the ad, and the, the the behavior was assisted by the light shafts, 
the, the, the lighting in the place. It was skeletal. There were no people there. Yeah. But what was so great was the atmosphere. It didn't need people. It didn't need a full saloon like we see in movies. We didn't need gunplay. We didn't need a, We just needed a good relationship with good information coming out of there, good acting, and the proper setup atmospherically. So y there were ways to cut costs and do the Western properly. We did a Western in, in Russia, for instance. Now, nobody knows about that, but I did a Western with Franco Nero and John Saxon in, in, in Russia. Uh, it was a follow-up to Kaoma, and Franco Nero is a big, big, big Western star. Doesn't come over here so much, but in the rest of the world. I mean, he's like, uh, I don't know, Bud Spencer, Terrence Hill, I mean, sure. you know, all the, you know. Um, pennies, literally, in terms of, uh, you know, of the cost. They had, they brought in some horses from, from, uh, the, the Donau, it's called the Donau area, which is more eastern. They're Cossack horses. These horses could literally lay down for 10 minutes while the fighting was going on. You know, and then you, you, you pull the rein and they get up. They lay down, they get up, they put on their knees. They, they, they're amazing, amazing horses. Huh. So, uh, apropos, he's talking skeletal, and I'm. And I'm talking about something that had incredible production value because, you know, cast of hundreds, really, uh, building towns, taking them down, moving on to the next set. But we shot it in Russia. But neither, so the two of you haven't worked together on the West? No, no. no. We will eventually, no. maybe. That would be interesting. It would be fun, you know, it would be a lot of fun. And, um, I mean, I just want that genre to return so that our kids can move away from you know, we, we, we'll do, we've done horror movies and wrong. The Fallen Angels was a horror picture, and Last House on the Left was the first of its kind. We're talking about 1973 or so. Yeah. But <clears throat> the thing is, is that to get the kids away from that, because right now I think children have too many distractions, too many choices, and it's too dark. There are no heroes anymore, and we need to have some heroes. That genre allowed us to have some heroes. You can't approach that genre. Red River wouldn't work nowadays, neither with the searchers and all that, because the kids are so hip, they're looking for... They're so smart nowadays, you've got to really entertain them. You have to work harder to entertain people now than ever before. Yeah. So it's got to have a new twist, a new angle, and merge Supernatural with it, or just incredible relationships like an open range. I, I think, think it has to do with the speed, too, Morty. Open I, range, I, yeah. You know, I didn't, mean, I didn't mean to cut in, but the... Uh, um, because of the television and because of, 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 of the way TV shows are made with all of the special effects and the speed, the cutting, etc., like that, uh, the kids don't have the ability to hold the kind of attention that we had. We would go to a film and we would wait because we're, you know, there's a hero, there's the bad guy, and we would just sit there and we would wait and we'd watch it develop and we'd want to see what was going to happen and there are twists in the plot, etc., like that, but we knew eventually that the good guy was going to win out because they had to... That's the way it worked. Now it doesn't seem to matter. They, they, uh, there's, a, there's a kind of an ennui. We've seen it all. Show us something different. It's not tell us a story. It's show us something different. So it's, a, it's more of a visual thing. And, and, and the Western really is, is, is metaphorical for life. You know, and may, perhaps the best metaphor of all, maybe cult films, maybe horror films are, are, are up there too. But we need to get back into that. I totally agree with him. I think that there's a there's a loss of of it, it's an educational process. Also, the Western it teaches you something at the same time that it uh, you know that, that that it allows you to to uh, to fantasize and to get out of yourself and get into a fantasy. 
there is none of that anymore. You now can see the fantasies on the internet, like this this guy that uh, that, that that blew away thirty two people in the, you know in, in West Virginia at the college. So what do they have to have go to a Western for? They can see it on the internet. Yeah. The the interesting thing is somehow merging what Raiders of the Lost Ark did, which is twenty five years ago. Raiders, we just watched it recently, and yet it merges that genre of action nonstop, and it's 25 years old. And yet Open Range, which is just a couple of years old, really was incredible with relationships and character-driven, and had one action sequence, the end. And we had gone to the premiere, and the kids were 12 years old, and I took them, and, I, you know, and, and, both, and they were twins, boy and a girl, and they were locked into watching this movie, locked into it. And... You know, and I was poking Powers Booth sitting next to me at the premiere. And I mean, the kids were sent in a limousine. They were sent in the red carpeting, and they saw their friends, Kevin Sorbo and all that. But when it got to the evening to seeing the movie, the movie was the star. Mm -hmm. Why was it the star to a 12-year-old? Because it was character-driven. Costner did an incredible job of directing that. Bobby did a great job in acting in it. And the end was the only thing they were familiar with. An action sequence. They were not familiar with the rest of the movie, per se, mm -hmm. but it was so well done. So if you can merge Raiders of the Lost Ark kind of pacing, which yes. is unquestionably, I agree with you, because everybody has this much attention span. If you can merge that kind of pacing with character-driven material in the West, you'll have a successful picture, and then you'll have the sheep in Hollywood making a dozen Westerns in right. one year. Right. Right. <laughs> They're going to come back. They're going to come after. But, you know, it, it, it's... It's finding new ways to give out the information so that it, the information is always interesting because the information really is the most important thing. It really is. Yeah. I mean, yes, we're important. Yes, the visual is important. Yes, music. Yes, all of the stuff that go into making a picture. But the information, and we've, I think not just in, in, in Westerns or anything like that, but I think just in terms of the whole industry, is that we have forgotten about the information. Kids want information. That's what keeps them. I agree. Yeah. Well, right. I, I, one more question, and, and I, then I know you're, <laughs> you're sure. ready to go. But um, I wanted to get into your dealings with students and children and uh, the bullying. Well, I've, we... Uh, Judy does that too, you know. Well, I partnered up with a lady named Sue Ellen Freed. Sue Ellen Freed has written two books on bullying. She travels around the country to different schools. And so we got the idea through a director friend of mine named Rupert Hissick and um, James Gould. Um, good friends of mine, and, and he's very Rupert's, a, Rupert's a good guy. He's really a good guy. And, and they're very creative people, yeah. and they they are involved with the child abuse board, and so is Sue Ellen. So we go around to schools, um, and we have a little DVD, and we introduce her program, which is how to deal with bullies at school, at the school level. And we put Karate Kid, Columbia was kind enough to allow us to do this, and we put different scenes in the DVD of Marty Cove bullying kids in the tournament scene in Karate Kid 1, and then we analyze it, and we deal with these children. We've been to Cincinnati, Chicago, Beverly Hills, um, St. Louis, and we allow the kids through this program, and anybody can contact um, Bully Safe USA, which is Sue Ellen's website, and we allow the school to have a program. We would talk to a guidance counselor, so when we leave after a day, we address the students, we address the teachers, and we address the parents. And by the second day, there's a guidance um, counselor who's aware of what we're doing, who's led by Sue Ellen, and it's a program left intact in the schools so that we don't have the situations that we had, unfortunately, in Virginia Tech, nor in Columbine, or in a lot of you know less violent um, 
uh, involvements with kids who are bullied because it's a, it's a bad situation and it just evolves into worse behavior as the kids get older unless we do something about it. And there are witnesses that are equally as guilty. There are victims, targets, which have to do something about their position without becoming violent. And there's, of course, the bully, which in a sense is very much like John Kreese in The Karate Kid. He doesn't have any power of his own and usurps the power of others. other people. You know, and he really doesn't have any power, John Kreese. But his students do, and that's what he says, I want the kid out of commission. He says, but I can beat that guy, sensei. And I said, I don't want him beaten. I want him out of commission. Use the dark way. Make sure he doesn't get up. And that's what a bully does, because I didn't have the confidence that my boy could beat him. Because if my boy loses, I lose. So there's a level of confidence absent in the bully, which is what we talk about. Bullies have no power. They just try to steal the power from other people by bullying. It's interesting the way you the way you treat that because you can also use that as a father to a son or a father to a daughter. I mean if you're if you have a if you have a sense that you want your children to do that which you couldn't do, then you're also sending the wrong message. Sure, absolutely. You know? So I mean there, there there's that too. I mean th- there again it goes right back to the family. It goes right back to the family. I mean what he's doing is incredible, but it has to start in the family. I mean there has to be some kind of ethical balance so that uh, you so that your children not only can look up to you but they can also take something from you and reject that which they don't want and there's this, there's a certain amount of freedom in that and if you repress them if you bully them if you w- expect them to do what you can't do you get that then it's repressive then they can't learn mm-hmm. well, I want to thank you both it's it, it's been <laughs> amazing listening to you and, and, and I appreciate it very, very much, the time you've taken. It's fun being with him. We go back such a long way. It's just fun being with him. It's it's enjoyable, and, you know, thanks for the interesting questions and all. uh, Thank Thank you very much. Well, once again, I'd like to thank Martin Cove and David Hess for joining us, taking the time to sit down and talk with us for uh, at length, you know, because, uh, you know, there are actually two, two interviews there with both of those people. And uh, I want to thank them. I appreciate it very much that they sat down and talked with us so long. And that just about does it for another episode of On Screen and Beyond. But I want to remind you that uh, I'd like you to go to the website, onscreenandbeyond.com, and take our poll and just scroll down to the bottom of the home page, and down at the bottom you will see the poll question for this uh, episode. And uh, the question is, which movie do you think will win the Oscar for Best Picture this year? Will it be Atonement, Juno, Michael Clayton, No Country for Old Men, or There Will Be Blood? Those are the choices. Come Oscar time in February, when they have the awards given out, we'll see if... uh, the listeners of On Screen and Beyond are correct as far as who they think will win. All right, so those are some pretty tough movies uh, to to try to decide which one will win, but uh, we'll see what happens. All right, so if you would uh, be kind enough to do that, we'd appreciate that. And uh, coming up in our next episode, because it is getting closer to Oscar time, um, we will be having a former nominee for Best Actress right here on On Screen and Beyond. So that'll be coming up next time on On Screen and Beyond, Episode 8. Until then, this is Brian Zemrak saying, take care.